All right, guys. Welcome back to the 3 of 7 podcast. Man, do we have a special guest for you today, my brother Chris Hewitt. I, uh, in a way, I grew up with Chris. We went to high school together. Uh, We hung around in the same crowds. We did a lot of the same stuff. And um, Chris has had an amazing journey in life, man, in, in so many different ways. You know, not only coming from what we used to be, sure. the kind of people we used to be, um, not that not that today, we're, we're not perfect today, right. but we're definitely different than we used to be. And uh, I, I've just seen... I saw that shift in you, and I hope you've seen that shift sure. in me. And Chris has really dedicated his life to sharing Jesus with people all over the country and all over the world. And he does it in a really unique way. That's what really makes you stand out to me, Chris. Uh, it's it's amazing, brother. Thank you for joining Thanks us, for man. Us. Come on. And, uh, man, uh, it's up to you. You, 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 you want to start us off with a little prayer, Chris? I can do that. That'll yes, be sir. awesome, brother. Yes, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all you've done for us today. I thank you for Chad and Blake. I thank you for the uh, audience you've given them, the influence you've given them. I pray, dear God, today you uh, order our steps, guide our lips, and I pray, Father, that the gospel would go forth today and that it would take seat in people's heart and find good soil and bring forth much fruit. We love you, Lord, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Um, Blake, what's up, man? Shoot, not much, man. Just... We- Ready to get some good conversation going in here. We got baby Blake on the uh, on the pod here. Ain't nobody going to call him a fool. No, and I'm um, in the camera today. Yeah, he's on camera today. Generally, I sit off the camera, <laughs> and you just see my legs and maybe my running shoes. Just nobody knows really what I look like. I know that's right, you man. You let your beard grow out now? Man, I can't grow a really good beard, Chris. Yeah. It's a little spotty, man. Patchy. Yeah, yeah, it really is. See, I've got the hair on my head real yeah. thick, and Chad's got Chad a good does, beard. Chad doesn't have thick hair on his head. No, but he's working on that cul-de-sac up yeah. top. And you know, so, he kind of looks like Hulk Hogan from the, the late 80s a little, stage, you know. I, yep, I agree. So, hey. together, we make a solid head of hair. Yeah, that's right. I can't argue with that, man. I can't argue with that. My brother's two years younger, and he's already he's already shaved. He, he gave up the fight. He's, yeah. He's shaving it with a razor now. Yeah, there comes to, there, there definitely you get you get to a point where it's just time to shave yeah, it. I'm going I'm that not, way. I'm not there yet, but yeah, I'm headed that I'm way. I'm going son. that way. I don't want the comb over, you know, like you see at Martin's every morning. <laughs> I don't want the comb over. I know that's right, brother. Um, dang man, it's been a long time since we've just got to uh, to sit down and catch up. I know we did our little land nav yes, course sir. a couple months ago. Um, that was a blast, a blast. Another thing about Chris that we didn't mention is he's, uh, he's pretty skilled in the wilderness. He's got a passion, I think, for bushcraft skills. Um, he goes out and does a lot of really unique missions, man. The gear that you use is old school. I love it, man. Why do you go with the old school stuff? Well, I, um, I, you know, I, I grew up in a, in what people would call a traditional Baptist church. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't know there was anything different until I was about 14. Mm-hmm. And I just, it got in my heart. 
you know, I've seen what it did in my life and um, how God used it. Uh, the old old fashioned, you know, worship the uh, you know the atmosphere, and to me, there's nothing like it. And and you know, I I don't I want to give my the beginning of my testimony, but there was a time in my life where I began reading books about like George Whitfield in the Great Awakening, and he would ride into a field into a town, and he was preaching forty hours a week. And and most people don't know this. Said that during the time he was alive, during the Great Awakening, there was 14 million people in the colonies, and without the aid of radio or sound amplification, he preached to two thirds of the the population in the colonies. And man, as a young man, I'm thinking, well, I wonder if God could do that now. You know, I I really did, and He can. You know, I'm yeah. seeing it. I'm seeing God do that now, and not yeah. necessarily in the states all the time. But you know, we go to Papua New Guinea, and there'll be four or five thousand people sitting in a field every night waiting to hear us preach, and it's just it's amazing. I've seen that content that you put out, man, and those are some amazing missions. You go over there, and actually, you you're like a that you're like a green beret or something, man. You're like a <laughs> green beret for Jesus because you like embed yourself in these cultures for extended amounts of time. And you put it's a in mission. The, yeah, yeah, it's just pretty freaking cool, man. But that takes some commitment. I get asked every, uh, you know, we were. I was at the airport in Kansas City yesterday, and this old black, older black couple, they were running a coffee stand, and they asked me if I was a soldier. And I, that's just kind of, I wear these kind of colors and clothes every day. And I said, No, I'm a preacher. And they said, Well, you're in the Lord's army, you know. And that's yeah. that's what I get all the time, and um, I love it, you know. Um, the uh, I never thought that the bushcraft stuff would translate over into missions. But now I'm getting calls from third world countries where you can't drive into places. You can't just stay in a hotel. And because of the, the skills God's let me gather, mm-hmm. uh, I'm able to take that over and do that too, you know, and mm-hmm. taking preachers out. Man, preachers have the, you know, they're pastor millennials now. That's a tough job, you know, and, um, you know, we're the whiniest generation ever. And they're pastoring these millennials, and a lot of them are losing their mind. And I'm able to get these preachers out into the bush and let them get their minds cleared, and 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 that's that's been become a part of our ministry as well. That's really cool, brother. I didn't know you were working working in that arena, but um, I, I think that is important, man. And I could only imagine being a pastor. Um, it's uh, it's got to be one of the most stressful jobs on earth. It, everything's <laughs> changing too. You know, last year they couldn't make the right decision. If you yeah. said we're going to have church, everybody got mad. If you said we're not going to have church, people were getting mad. That's right, man. The, the, it's I can't imagine having to pastor in America right now. I'm glad I'm not one. Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> I'm an evangelist. I'm Thank God for that. But. Yeah, and it, there's I think there's a distinct difference there, yes, right? You yes, you talk about a pastor. A pastor is is there for that local that that community local. that local right, and he's pouring into these this same whatever you want to call it flock whatever you want to call it day after day he's got to be there for them they're seeking counsel from him in a lot of different ways whereas like chris is called to be an evangelist which which allows you you're pushing out basically All all over you're bouncing all over the place and you're sharing the gospel, mainly the yes, gospel sir. of Jesus Christ. Yes, is sir. that kind of the foundation so, of 
everything that you share? You know, I always, and I want to say this to what you was just talking about. I, my wife and I, you know, I've been in evangelism this month is 10 years. This is my 10-year wow, anniversary. I was a, a youth pastor, assistant pastor for three years. But my wife and I uh, have been married. June will be nine years. So she knew what she was getting, kind of what she was mm -hmm. getting into. But uh, we live in a fifth-wheel camper. I tell people we're gypsies for Jesus, you know, which <laughs> we travel all over. But uh, we for evangelism it's more of a physical toll you know mm -hmm. no we don't have a home we don't have a home you know other than the camper uh we're all the time different places and 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 it, i'm not complaining a bit we love it but it is a physical toil as opposed to i believe pastoring is an emotional toil uh -huh. you pour into these people every i mean for decades you pour into these people and just because of our flesh and we're all prone to this the least little thing will tick somebody off, and then people you've poured your life into forever, they just walk out. That's right. And, and that I can't. And you know, people come in, they'll be mad at you, <laughs> and your wife, you've got the call, and your wife has to sit there, and that, she sees her husband pouring into these people that don't even really like him, and he's because he loves them, and he's ministering to them. Well, the wife don't have that call, and it's a tough time, but. The, the gospel, you know, I, I preach some church meetings, and I'll, I'll preach the whole council, you know, but the gospel is the heart of what we're doing. I, I, my desire is to preach the death of Jesus Christ for our sins according to the scriptures and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I want to preach it everywhere. And a lot of people know those uh, tenets or principles. They know them up here. You know, I, I've, known, I've been in church since nine months before I was born, and... Um, I've always known it up here. I don't remember a day ever learning the gospel because I've it's always been a part of my life. Mm -hmm. But it, when I was 11 years old, um, we went to church one Sunday morning. I, it was the same same as every other Sunday morning my whole life. But that morning, uh, the preacher, my, my childhood pastor, he got up and he preached on, uh, he was an outlined preacher, very, uh, you know, uh, you know, just methodical, yep. you know, preach through the text, which I love. I love preaching through the text. But that morning, he just kind of threw his outline to the side, and he said, I, I just got to preach what's on my heart. He preached on heaven for a little while. He preached on hell for a little while. And uh, then he, t he preached the gospel. And for the first time, Chad, I didn't hear it here. I heard it here mm -hmm. for the first time. Mm -hmm. And it was everything I already knew. But it wasn't that, you know, sinners go to hell. It was, oh, my goodness, I'm a sinner. And I'm going to hell. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that, you know, it, it, my, I'm, it wasn't just, I'm there, everybody's condemned. It was, I'm condemned. Mm -hmm. And man, that went home with me that day. And we would call it Holy, Holy Ghost conviction. You know, the Spirit of God began to draw me unto Christ. John 6 44, no man cometh unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. Mm -hmm. And God, the Holy Ghost, began to draw me. And, um, you know, that condemnation, it, which had always, I've always been condemned. We've all, all men are condemned, but it became real that day. Yep. And uh, I went home. I couldn't eat lunch. Uh, I couldn't play with my Legos. I've always told, I was, that was my favorite thing at the time. And I was trying to play that day, get it off of me. And I was, I just couldn't. I went home that day and, uh, and I thought, man, if I could get back to church tonight, it'll get better. And it didn't get better, you know. And it, and it was amazing just how the service was set up. You know, the old gospel song, I'm on the winning side. And uh, they sung that that night. And it was like the Holy Ghost. You know, he doesn't speak to me audibly, but I, you know, he, he spoke to my heart that I wasn't, 
reminded me that I wasn't. And I was sitting on the front row that day. I got it on video. I got it on USB now. The night I got saved, mm-hmm. and I was sitting on the I was sitting on the front row, and I was in so much turmoil. And uh, all of a sudden, people started just coming to the altar sporadically. It wasn't like we had an altar call. The choir just got done singing, and people started getting saved over here and getting saved over here. So apparently, I wasn't the only one that went home under condemnation that day. And uh, that night, uh, September 19th, 1999, I got in the altar. And, you know, a lot of folks put emphasis on words. And if it was about words, a deaf man couldn't get saved. If it was about mm-hmm. a prayer we pray or a specific list of words, a deaf man couldn't get saved. And uh, it's not, you know, with, with the, it says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we've talked, we've taken that verse and almost ran with just that verse. But the next verse says, how can they call on him and whom they've not believed? And it's not about what I say, say with my mouth. It's not about a plan. It's not about a prayer. It's about a person. And that night, I took sides with God against myself. Everything that the Holy Ghost had been showing me that day about me, that I was a sinner, I was wicked, I was condemned, I'm, I'm going to hell. That night, I said, yes, Lord. And, uh, you know. Get re- me fired re- up, re- man. Re- repentance is not, you know, just. It's not words and all this stuff. Repentance is a change of mind about our sin, about our Savior, and about ourself. And that night, and I didn't know all that. You don't understand. I didn't know the doctrines of repentance that night, but it all happened inside of me. And God worked that repentance in my heart. And when that repentance took place, I put my faith in Christ. I, I, that repentance and faith in the gospel. You know, it, it, repentance is not a work. It's a ceasing from works, and that night I ceased from my works. I rested, and come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I came unto Christ, and I rested in him that night. That's a freak. That's amazing, <laughs> brother. I mean, that's a solid, solid description of um, what really what we talked about on Resurrected Sunday night. In, in a similar way, we talked about how the – I'm really competitive. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, I like to win. But we, we talk about how when we, when we lose, when we, are, when we don't meet the mark, when we, uh, when, when we find ourselves to be not enough, those moments are precious moments because those are the moments that point us to Jesus, right? Exactly right? It's like all all the victory, all the fame, all the glory, none of those things. This all, it's exactly all really right. false in, in the first yes, place because it it try we like to we, we we like to soak all that victory in and think we're perfect when in all reality mm-hmm. it's those moments of weakness that really make you realize holy smokes this is why I Need Jesus. Victory's yeah. not when we grow. That's it, brother. Failure's when we grow. I agree. 100%. The, the whole, you know, we got thirty-nine books of the Old Testament, and if you take all those men out of that that those thirty-nine books, they are some of the best and greatest men of history, ever. But you know what? Every one of them have in common. God doesn't just show us the good things about them; He shows us our, their failure. You know, mm-hmm. you got Noah, who literally saved the world by being obedient to God, and then he gets drunk and naked. You know, uh, and 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 messes up the line of his family because of his sin in in Genesis nine, and we got thirty nine books of the greatest men in history and how they were great, but they were failures. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the Gospels, and there's only one man that nothing negative is ever said about, 
and his name's Jesus. Praise God, man. <clears throat> guys, why are we, and a lot of you guys that are listening <clears throat> to this, um, a lot of this stuff may be new to you, and <clears throat> and you may be, you, hang in here with us, man. Hear, hear us out. Um, because the reason we are so passionate about this, and this episode is going to be heavily about the gospel, about Jesus, about our testimonies, about Chris's faith, and, and this and that, and it's going to be heavy in that, but the reason we are so fired up and passionate about this message is because it is the only message that we have that leaves us with any hope. That's right. Everything else that we talk about, guys, it's all good stuff, right? It's all good stuff. It'll help you, you know, it'll help you achieve maybe a higher level in your fitness and your mindset and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, this is the message that's going to leave you with hope for eternal life. And I want you guys, I know I am, I'm just as fired up when I hear Chris talking about this stuff as I am about any secular message or teaching or mindset or whatever it may be. I'm more fired up about this message because I know it leaves me with eternal hope. This is real, guys. I mean, this is... Like Chris is saying, he laid it out very well right there. The gospel, man, it's so simple. It's so simple. Anybody can comprehend it, and it will leave you, man, on that last day. Yes, <laughs> on that last day when your race is, is over, won't it be nice to have some hope, man? Absolutely. Yeah, because you, yes, can, you can pour all that time into your mindset, into your physical body, and get strong and advance in those ways. And then you come down with cancer and you yes, get sir. weak and you can't do none of it. Don't have any of that. Then you've lost everything that you've worked for. You've lost all your hope. But if you can find hope in Jesus Christ, then when you're laying there, you say, yes, man, even if this body perishes today, I've got hope that I'm going to a better place. Mm -hmm. Matthew 16, Jesus said, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Mm. And uh, that's just the... It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. The the rich man and the poor man, we're all going to die. We all we all got a grave coming for us. Yep. And uh, you don't get to make those preparations later. You get to make them today. You know? Yep. Chris, I want to go back a little bit, man. Yes, sir. Uh, I want to talk about, you know... Kind of moving forward from from that from that um, account that you just gave us when you got saved when you, when the when the gospel really uh, resonated with you and you saw the need for Jesus Christ and and you know like you said you departed from works and you put your faith in Him and His salvation and then moving forward from there obviously you know. Just because, so you you were saved, you were you 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 yes, understood it, right? But but I think you know without a doubt, everything is not just rainbows and oh. unicorns throughout life, man. And <clears throat> you know when me and you grew up together, man, we were we were country boys, That's man. Right. I mean there there I think that there were some years, there were a lot of years there for me personally that I didn't give my faith, my relationship with God. I didn't give I didn't really give it a second yeah. thought, man. I was I was honed in on hunting and uh you know, being wild and just you know, just be just really being what you would describe as just an uh, 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 everyday good old boy, good old boy, good old boy religion. That's that, what's yeah. prevalent where we grew up. Yeah. It it really was, yeah. man. It really <clears throat> was. So um 
I know, at least I think you found you understand that because maybe you oh, found yes, yourself in that situation. Yes, sir. Talk me through that, man, and and how how that played out, brother. So, uh, I was twelve. I turned when I uh, the summer I, uh, after I turned twelve. So we're the same age. So it would have been the same summer. It would have been the summer after sixth grade. Um, I went to a, a Christian camp and uh, down in South Georgia. I didn't know anybody, you know, and uh, I, it's it's funny, you know. They take it, they took everything not not forcefully, but you didn't have phone, you didn't have TV, you didn't have you know. We back then we didn't have our CD player that we carried on the bus with us, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, you know the shockproof, you know, for two minutes, <laughs> and uh, we um, everything was all distractions were gone, and I never I had never been in that atmosphere. And, uh, man, it wasn't old people that were shouting. It wasn't old people that were in love with God. It wasn't old people that were, uh, you know, worshiping. It was young people. Everybody was my age. And I was like, whoa. I thought this was just for the older people. Mm -hmm. And uh, that Wednesday night, out there in the un, out, uh, we were, they had an outdoor tabernacle. Thankfully, it was South Georgia. We didn't want to be inside during the summer. But, um, I, I got on my face and in, in, in the altar and never really had that hurt that it was a it was a step that I had never taken you know just out there with the Lord and um, the Lord began to deal with me about preaching and I it, I was twelve I don't under I don't understand how a twelve year old can comprehend that but if God's big enough to show me I'm in need of a Savior He's old enough to show me what He wants me to do with my life and so uh, the next morning I talked to my counselor. Uh, I actually preach for him now. He's a pastor in North Carolina, and um, but anyways, I, I talked to my counselor, and he um, he you know gave me some good advice, and I got up that night and I told everybody that that's what God wanted me to do, and um, I did not understand all of that right then. Um, I started preaching, you know, um, right off the bat. The next Wednesday night, I was preaching at my home church, and uh, I I did not have a lot of light. And, and I always tell people there's a difference in ignorance and rebellion, okay? I didn't have a lot of light that I was supposed to be following God with my whole life. I didn't have a lot of light on the idea of surrender or the spirit-filled life. And um, so for about eight years, and that's the era you're talking about, mm -hmm. I just kind of floated along. You know, uh, I would go preach and, you know, because we grew up in the Northwest Georgia mountains, um, I, I grew up around, you know, old timey preachers. So it was just, I didn't learn to preach. It was just, that's what I was surrounded by. Mm -hmm. So I could always get up and enjoy preaching. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But it wasn't, I wasn't serious about it. And all through high school, you know, the good old boy religion, I was rodeoing and, you know, um, in high school, I really tried to do good and, and, it was because I was afraid my daddy might find out. Mm, okay. That was that was my guiding principle. I'm scared. I didn't go to McPherson every Friday night and, you know, get drunk because I was afraid that my daddy would find out and I'd hurt my daddy. Mm -hmm. It never was, my compass never was, what about God? What does God want me to do? In my decisions or my lifestyle or whatever, it was never God. It was always daddy. And, uh, I, the, you know, this, the good old boy thing. And, and I tried to have a moral compass. I tried not to cuss, you know what I'm saying? I, well, stuff it, like that. And that's the thing I do remember, you know, it, it, about you is you all, you always were in a way 
set apart. I I I don't want you. You were different. No, you, you were it, different. I, uh, you were the same as you could hang out. With, I was with still us, trying to fit in, but there was something about you that even then that was a little bit different because you did. I I could tell you were try. You were trying. <laughs> Harder than we were trying <laughs> to to at least be a decent person. It's interesting to hear your your reason behind yeah. that, though. Yep, it, it, that know? was my that was my drive. I don't want to upset Daddy. I don't want to disappoint my dad. That in a good way, you know. Yeah. My dad was is not a taskmaster. You know, my dad. Yeah, he is not a hard man. But my dad tried to raise me in the light he had, the light I had, and tried to raise me as a good young man. And you know, I I. It's funny, you know, as a saved young man growing up in high school, because of our friends and, and some of the situations we got put in, I, I always wanted to fit in, and it was always awkward. Yeah. Every time I tried to fit in, it was so awkward I felt that too, Chris. Man, it was just yeah. so weird for me. I was like, oh, no, I am fitting in, and I don't like it, you know. So, you know, high school, uh, you know, I, I dabbled around with some things, but nothing horrible, you know. Mm -hmm. I we had a good friend, and I, I won't name his name, but he got into drugs our freshman year, and it scared me to death. I never, ever wanted that, you know, because mm -hmm. I saw what it did to him. Yep. And uh, anyways, I got into college, and, and that I want to stop this. This is a very major point. God called me to preach, and I'm not against bivocational preachers. My dad has been one my, most of my life, you know. Um, but I knew in my heart God wanted more from me he wanted me to preach, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That he wanted me, he designed me for that to be what I did. Yeah. And um, man, I I just could not come to grasp with it. I made awesome on the SATs. Didn't even study. You know, my parents bought me that seventy five dollar book. I read the introduction. I was like, I ain't doing. I'm not doing this. You know. And I made really good on the SATs. I had some, you know, because of FFA, I had some opportunities. I could have went to UGA or ABAC. And yeah, you were really involved in those I programs. Was, it, it was yeah. huge to me. It was my life. Mm -hmm. And because of that, and those aren't simple things. Not at all. I'm not saying those are simple things, but for, it was not the will of God for my life. And I um, I started, uh, I wanted to be an agriculture teacher uh, so bad. You know, I loved it. I believed in what the program was doing for young people. Uh, FFA, it was just a big part of my life. Rodeo, and and I found out ABAC, Abraham Baldwin Agricultural College, I could go there, get my ag degree. I could be, do animal science, you know, ride a horse to class if I wanted to, rodeo. And, excuse me. And, and everything that I wanted in my flesh was there. And when I made that, and I, I got to that. I was talking about ignorance and rebellion a while ago. Up until that point, I was walking in the light I had. I don't believe, you know, there was some, I'm not saying I was perfect, but I was trying to walk in the light I had, and I had some fellowship with God. But that day, when I signed the bottom line and decided to go to ABAC, mm -hmm. that was me walking out of any kind of will of God for my life, willingly. Mm -hmm. And in my life, I'm not saying everybody else's life, my fellowship was God with God, not my sonship, Okay, there's a difference. 
You cannot, once you're saved, you're birthed into the family of God. You cannot break that sonship, but you can break that fellowship. Mm -hmm. I will always be Dwayne Hewitt's son, but there have been times we didn't have very good fellowship, you know, and it's the same with God. First John 1, it says, uh, This then is the message we have heard of him, declaring to you that God is light and him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship in, with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So I, at that point in my life, when I, when I made that decision, knowing God did not want me to do that. God wanted me to go follow the preaching path. Mm -hmm. That was me walking out of that will of God for my life, and it was dangerous. And uh, my parents, my freshman year of college, and my parents, you know, uh, my dad was my pastor, my hero. They almost got, they almost got divorced, and um, and then my dad had a second heart attack. Um, I'm running from God. I go to college. I get bitter. Um, I um, I start, you know, I've always sang. I've always played yeah. the guitar. In in high school, I had a country band, uh, rock band, and you know, I know everybody's got different views about music, uh, and and I never thought anything negative about it. But man, I started playing in bars, and um, I, I would get up and sing "Whiskey Bent and Hellbound," and it's just a song. You know, to, to us, it was just, growing up. It was just a song. Oh yeah, know? yeah, culture. But, it was our culture, but, man. But, and I'm not attacking Hank, so don't nobody get offended, you know. <laughs> but here I am in this bar, and everybody's drunk, and I'm probably the only person in that bar that could tell anybody how to get to heaven. And I'm up singing Whiskey Mint and Hellbound. Yeah. And I remember Holy Ghost Conviction, Chad, while I was on stage trying to drown out what I, what I was. Mm -hmm. And... um Man, it, it was just insane, and uh, God began to work on my heart. It was the spring of 07. Um, I, I, me and my best friend, Hank, he was my rodeo partner uh, at, at college. We had, He grew up in a similar kind of atmosphere that we did. He's yeah. from East Georgia. But we both decided, well, we're not going to drink anymore. <clears throat> we're not going to you know, party anymore. We're going to do, do good. And even during all this, I went to church every Sunday. During the, I found a little Southern Baptist church in, in in South Georgia, and I was going to that church. Mm -hmm. And me and Hank, you know, we'd have all of our buddies. They'd be cussing and fussing all at the table, and we'd make everybody take our hats off, and we'd pray over our food. You know, it yeah. was just that's that was in us. But at the same time, we were doing the other. And um, when, now, uh, when y'all made that decision as a as as sw I call it swim buddies, that's yeah. what we had in, in the SEAL teams. What what was the motivating factor for you making the decision to say all right we're gonna do good because i think there's a fine line there between potentially doing that for self-righteous reasons yes. oh yeah so is. so what was the what were the reasons behind that Chris? well uh i hadn't ever told this out and about but i'll just go ahead and i got arrested mm -hmm. um i i wouldn't i wasn't driving but i had had one drink at a club that night and uh we, uh, I got a, the campus police pulled me over or pulled us over and, um, I got, a, I, I went to jail and that kind of started everything. Um, uh, me and Hank both not, he didn't get arrested, but I mean, just saying yeah. it started rolling on and I got miserable. I was miserable. Mm -hmm. 
that I was talking about that that conviction while I was on stage. That's right. Why are you singing this to these people? Why don't you give these people the gospel? This is not what I created you to do. This is not what I saved you out of out of a life of sin to do. That it, it all of this was going on inside. I was miserable, man. My mama got saved during that time period. My mama, the pastor's wife, mm -hmm. she got saved. So everything back home was getting better. And here I am was getting worse. And, uh, you know, my dad uh, had never told me he was disappointed in me. And that not, that week in, I came home and told him about, you know, getting in trouble because I wasn't about to call him from the cell. You know what I'm yeah. saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, he um, he didn't whoop me. I wanted him to whoop me. I was, I was 18 years old. I wanted him to take his belt off and whoop me. He didn't whoop me. He didn't scream. He didn't holler. He looked me in my eyes, and he said, I'm disappointed in you. And that's what I'd always been living to keep from happening. That was my goal. Mm -hmm. And after that, it, it made me realize that he wasn't the only one disappointed in me. And I became very miserable. And me and Hank were having these conversations. You know, he was the only buddy I could have these conversations <laughs> with. And uh, we started, uh, we, we, I found out he was miserable too. And that was, that was the motivating factor of hey we're going to um we're going to do better mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I, we went to a party you know david ice we went to school with yeah. him he's a year older than us we went to his birthday party and and me and hank were both like man i don't want to go there's going to be a, you know what we're trying to not do is going to be there and that's one thing i'll say if you got a problem with whatever this the vice is don't put yourself around it that's just common sense yeah because you'll fall right back into it um and anyways, we went to that party, and there was a friend of mine there. Her name's Kayla. She was one of our best friends. She's from Florida. She was sitting across the room, and she had a beer in her hand. She was just miserable. And uh, you could just tell she was just kind of putting herself. And I walked over, and, I, you know, me and Hank only stayed a little while. I wasn't drinking or nothing that night. And uh, we walked over there, and uh, I said, uh, Kayla, what's wrong with you? And she said, I don't have what you and Hank have. That ain't what you expect to hear mm -hmm. at, a, at a party, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, Chris, I know God. She said, but I don't know God like you and Hank know God. And that was, that was it was like a trigger. And I, I said, oh, you're just drunk. I said, we'll talk about this later. She said, no, I hadn't. She said, I'm not drank a lot. I want to talk about it now. And uh, we went into a side room there, and uh, Kayla broke down. She said, I see y'all pray over your food. I see you talk to God like you know him. And she said, I don't know God like that. And that night at that party, I got to lead Kayla to the Lord. She got saved at that at that back room at that party. Changed her life. She's serving in her and her husband serving in the church in South Florida now. Mm. And that was really the hey, I still want to use you. It wasn't just I've got a place of forgiveness for you. It was I've got still got a place of service for you. And about a month later, Daddy had his his second heart attack. I was at a rodeo in Cumming, Georgia. The next morning, I came home, and um, the next week, I came. I went and got. I had all A's. I was doing good in school. I went and got all my stuff and came back home. Went mm -hmm. back to work at the dairy, and the rest, you know, uh, that next spring fall or the next fall of '07, the winter of '08, that that time period, '07 to '08, winter and fall, I just started reading my Bible. I didn't know Ephesians talk, talked about the washing of water by the word. And everything that I needed, I found in that book right there. 
everything. I, I found the light that I needed to go forward. And uh, March 22nd, I got on an altar, me and my best friend Grant, one of my best friends, Grant Hardeman, he grew up with us too. He went to high school with us. I don't know if you remember him. He was uh, more ROTC, so he didn't really hang out with the same crowd with us all the time. But um, Grant and I got an altar that day, and uh, I said, God, if you want me to be an evangelist or a missionary or a pastor, or if you want me to clean the toilets at the church, I'm all yours. And that right there uh, was the pivoting point, That what you were talking about at the beginning. That day, I didn't want to be the good old boy anymore. I didn't want to fit in anymore. That day was the turning point in the rest of my life. It's, yeah, it started with uh – that's how it started with me too. Yes, sir. It's complete submission. It's, yes, sir. People don't get that. It started with complete submission. Uh, and you know the interesting thing that Chris just explained to us here. Uh, I'm really glad I asked that question about what was your motivating factor to do good because I, I think we get screwed up a lot of times as Christians and and and. You know, it's really easy to fall into that self-righteous place. But understand what what Chris just said right here. The weird thing about sin, and boy, people don't like the word sin. No. <laughs> uh, they don't like it. But but let me tell you, there is right and there is wrong. Yes, sir. And, and the wrong is what, what we call sin, all right? The weird thing about sin is it, it feels really good, a lot of it, for, for a season. A season. But what you don't understand is after a while, you become a slave to sin. You you are actually living in bondage. So my understanding of why Chris made that decision is because he wanted some freedom, man. Liberty. He, yeah, he wanted some <clears throat> liberty and some freedom from that bondage that was actually making him miserable. The world will tell you if you do these things, uh, whatever it is, drugs, alcohol, um, sex. sex, you yep. name it, that it's going to really enhance your experience in life. And, and it's the craziest lie. Yes, sir. It, it, <laughs> this was a perfect description yeah. of it. If you are feeling bound up, uh, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing self-righteous about That's right. repentance and turning and trying your best to be better, because that is the path to freedom. Yes, sir. Really, in in my opinion. Liberty, a lot of times, is taken as like, I want liberty so I can do what I want to. Liberty is not so you can do what you want to. Liberty is so you can do what God wants you to. That's why he died on the cross. And uh, there's a verse in James. Man, it's amazing you said that. There's a verse in James, I believe it is. It says, and sin when it is finished. So you'll never get through with sin. So you may get you might I might come to a point and say I I I want out of this I am through with this sin it ain't about you getting through with sin it's about sin getting through with you and without Christ sin will have you yeah it'll have you yeah. I can't I could if we make it sound like I had this self help book and I got better no man it was it was Jesus it was the Lord <laughs> it was the Lord uh, it was Him that took it took over in my life and uh, you know we all want Him as Savior. But very few people want him as Lord. Yeah. And um, I want him as Lord. He didn't sign up to be resident. He signed up to be president. <laughs> I love it, brother. I, I got to ask you, man, 
from that place where you you finally you finally came to that place of I, I mean I call it submission. I don't know what it felt like for you where you said, Hey, I'll clean toilets, I'll preach, I'll event I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'm yeah. I'm completely yours. Just what happened from there, man? Man. Um I had not preached in about a year. I'd kind of set myself aside. I didn't feel like I was worthy, whatever you want to call it. I had a lot of 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 uh regret and and just guilt. And that day, God just took all that away. And for the first time in about a year, all the phones started ringing. I started preaching here, preaching there. Started preaching on the street in Cartersville. You know, um, you get the old town Cartersville. Mm-hmm. Cross over the railroad track down 61 like you're coming back to Georgia or to Dallas. And all those brick buildings, man, it was like we had an ample amplification out there yeah. you, you could hear it all we'd go out there and preach the gospel started preaching on the radio started preaching uh um on on the nurse at the nursing homes i couldn't get enough of it you know once i surrendered i couldn't do it enough you know and all of a sudden the revival started and i went to bible college for a little while and it particularly wasn't for me Okay, I spent a semester at Bible college, came back, started driving some older preachers, some mentors of mine, and grew from that. I don't have a paper on the wall, but I have an education from those older men of God. And that's a, that's another thing. you got to figure out what's right for you. Um, we're finding out real quick in our generation that college isn't for everybody, and college doesn't even really help everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, education is great. I am not belittling education because I got an education. It just wasn't a formal education. But um, I became uh, – they ordained me as youth pastor in 09 at my dad's church. I started serving with the young people. And really from 08 to 2011, there was a great move of God in our home area of young people surrendering to God. I can tell you of about 12 to 15 uh, men that God moved on in that era in our hometown that are now serving all over the world. Say so I was gone. Yeah, you, were, uh, yeah. you weren't in, you know, you, you weren't there right then, but um, it was just amazing. Like God began sending men out everywhere and, uh, you know, thanks be to God, I'm part of that. My brother's planting churches up in the upper Midwest. A lot, I mean, Brother Grant Hardiman, he's pastoring a great church up in Virginia. Just, it was like God just flung us all out, mm. and, and it was a move of God. You know, week long prayer revivals, and and it wasn't older people. And I'm not against older people, of course, mm-hmm. but it wasn't the older people leading the charge. You know, it was young people. You know, I and and there's missionaries, missionaries' wives, preachers' wives, all that came out of this area um, during that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, 2011, <clears throat> March 2011, I surrendered to to go full-time in evangelism. I couldn't work my job anymore and preach at the same time. I had left the farm, went to Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A was great to me. I could work and go as I needed to. Chris, I remember meeting you one time. I hadn't seen you for years, man. And I had come home on leave, and I was going to uh, speak. I was active duty. I was going to speak to the, the guy that ran the the ROTC program at Paulding. Sergeant Major Hill. Sergeant Major Hill. <laughs> he was at another school, and he knew I was coming home from leave, and I remember walking into a Chick-fil-A with my with my old camis on, yeah. my old BDUs, and you you helped me there. Yeah, 
I, I, I forgot think you, all about you gave that, me a free sandwich. How about that? You sure you gave me a free Chick Fil A sandwich, man? Yeah. I I don't know why that memory stands out in my head so much. I mean, it's interesting the way that you and I have reconnected. Yes, you, you're really one of the only people from that time of I've my just life. Got a two or three that I that I've connect. yeah that I've connected with since I've been back home. We're man. part of the same family. I, I guess yeah, that makes Lord. a lot of sense, man. And, you know, I don't know. I, I just had to bring that yeah. up because you talked about that, and that memory is really – and I don't have a good memory, but that <laughs> no. one is, like, picture perfect in my mind. It was impactful to me for some reason. When I saw you, you you seemed happy. I was. You had a light about you. And I think that's because I wasn't happy. Yeah. I was achieving – I was doing – really hard stuff, really things that are highly esteemed in society's eyes. And I was working at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> yeah, but I wasn't yeah, happy. I and I, I think that that is the reason that that encounter stood out to me so much. It's really odd that it, that it does, yeah. but I had to share I that I forgot with you, all man. about that yeah. until you said that. Yeah, because yeah. there was nothing special. There was nothing no. crazy no. about it. We didn't it was, get to hang out or nothing. No, uh-uh. No, I, I just saw the, even in your voice and in your eyes, I thought, man. That's not the same Chris that I remember from, you know, yeah. whatever it had been six, seven yeah. years ago. You know, it was just a really unique meeting there. So, 2011 though, it you made that you made that transition. Transition, and and I thought evangelism was I would be going to church to church preaching all the time, go to some camp meetings, you know, and mm -hmm. that was you know get my name on a flyer and. um I, I met my wife at the end of that year. Um, we got we got married. We met in November 2011. I didn't know it. She had heard me preach six months prior. She'd been praying for me for six months. Beautiful lady, godly lady. Everything that I was praying for and a lot of things I didn't know I should be praying for. And, um, and she was just right there ready to go. So we, we, we knew it was right. We prayed over it. We met in November. We got married in June of 2012. Um, and, you know, a lot of things happened during that era. My wife and I miscarried twins um, that that December. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have miscarriages the first time. I'm not belittling it by any means, but a lot of people have miscarriages that first pregnancy. And um, uh, 2013, fast forward, we had a meeting in Rockmart, you know, with the tent. I've been doing gospel tent meetings since 2009, okay? I, I read a book in 2008 in the summer about gospel tent meetings. I was like, man, that'd be cool. And God began to deal with my heart about it. So 2009, I started doing tent meetings. And at first, it was just, you know, a bunch of church people outside. That's all it was. And um, 2013, we had that meeting in Rockmart. It ended up going two weeks and we were just sitting around the first week, and I'm like, hey, this Mill Village is right here. You know, right there across from the Walmart, and the Mill Village is mm -hmm. over there. Uh, Goodyear, Goodyear. Good year, yeah. And um, we were like, why don't we go get some flyers printed up and go into this Mill Village and knock on the doors? And everybody's like, all right. So we went to Office Depot, got some little, you know, it was horrible-looking flyers, but got little leaflets made up. And we started going into that neighborhood, which is predominantly black now. Um, and these people were like, man, y'all are doing what? And they were interested. And, brother, it went from like 40 or 50 church people at that tent meeting to the tent being packed out. And in two weeks, we had seven people get saved. 
It's like stuff you read about from back when I was talking about that stuff as a kid or younger. I, I was reading about, you know, we had people driving through the ditch, jumping out and running in and getting saved. Mm-hmm. that had been there the night before. God <clears throat> began to move. And I was like, this is what we need to be doing. And it changed everything. Mm. And so that was a big, big move of just being religious to, hey, this is actually what God wants us to be doing. You know, in John 4, Jesus is trying to win the woman at the well. And I've never thought about this until recently. When those disciples walked to Samaria into that town to get food, they had to pass that woman on the way in. She's walking to Jesus. He went there specifically for her. They come back, and they're like, Master, we got food for you. Was that a bad thing that they wanted to get Jesus' food? No. It's a good thing. They were doing something for God. But Jesus is like, look, guys, this is not the, the I, I this is not I have meat that you know not of. This is not the focus. Get your eyes up. Look, the harvest is coming. There's the whole town coming over this hill. Mm. And he couldn't get his disciples to get unfocused from what they were doing in the name of God into actually what God wanted them to be doing. And I think a lot of us church folks especially, we spend most of our life doing God things, doing good things, doing religious things. But it ain't got nothing to do with what God's got for us. He's trying to get our eyes on the harvest. That changed that that meeting. That's why I'm sharing this part. Yeah. That meeting changed everything. Yeah. My wife and I found out we were expecting again that same meeting. And uh we went in July. I mean, man, we were excited. The baby was growing. You know, you could feel the baby kicking and everything. We went in July, uh, I think it was 21st, we were at another tent meeting uh, in Athens, Georgia. We were doing a tent meeting in a homeless camp, basically, in Athens, Georgia, right in the middle of the slums. It was awesome. I had drunk ladies coming up trying to dance with me, you know, while I was preaching. Yeah. And uh, a lady named Faye, uh, she was a panhandler drunk. They called her queen. She was coming up. She said, dance with me, preacher. I said, Faye, sit down. We'll dance after church, you know. (laughs) And uh, just fun stuff. And uh, the gospel was fun. You know, it doesn't have to be born, but... But I, I'm going to tell yeah. you what's so unique about that, Chris, is um, I don't know what the word for it is, but it takes a lot of humility in a way as a as a evangelist, as a preacher, as just a servant of God to go to those communities and seek those people out. Because here's the thing, I, I think what I think what most whether it's a preacher, a pastor, a, a, a church leader, they want to seek, they're, they're seeking more for people that can pay into the church, right? They're, they're seeking more the the middle to, to upper class and, and audience. And I wouldn't say that and, was all they were doing. I think pastors want to see those kind of people saved. They just aren't willing to go to them. Go to them that's and, the and go amongst yeah. them, yes, man. Sir. I mean, that that's a big deal, dude. And even the congregation looking at people like that coming into the church, it's you tough. know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It can be tough sometimes, but I'm thankful. And I'll say this. Uh, I'm thankful to be associated with a lot of churches that that's not the case. They're, they are going. Good, and bro. they they do want, you know, most of the churches I know are running bus ministries. And they're going and picking up the people nobody wants and purposely bringing them to church so they can preach the gospel to them and giving them a meal when they're there. And I can't think of anything more Christ-like. Wow. Yep. No, I really you, can't you know, either. My yeah. pastor was a drunkard's son. Um, every, my pastor and his parents are the only 
people in their family that have not had divorce mess their their family. And I'm not again, I'm not belittling anybody, but it was a blew up, you know, Chatsworth, Georgia. Nobody wanted to do anything right. Drink yourself to death. And a blue Dodge church van came down that road. They were the only kids on the road back in the 80s. Only kids on, on that road. Picked them up, started picking them up for church. And my pastor got saved out of that. And now his family, his parents are saved. His kids are saved. And we've got to go where they're at. You know, yeah, yeah. Jesus did. Jesus didn't go sit in the synagogue and wait for them to come to him because they wouldn't have let him, let them, like you're saying, they wouldn't have let those people like that in the synagogue in those days. Jesus went to where they were at. He went to the religious too, but he went to the, you know, the, the you know, they that are sick need a physician. Yeah. You I, know, it, it's so good for me to hear. <clears throat> now, now I, 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 I've been called uh, to a very unique um, purpose. Yes, sir. Uh, now, you have also, but I think that you get to see through your mission, you get to see and spend more time with the body, the, the, the local bodies of Christ, the, the actual churches and, you know, the local congregations. And it's so encouraging for me to hear that there are people still out there doing that. I'm not doing it. Now I'm doing something else, doing something. but but you know it is that that's powerful, man. And and here's this is this is something that I think has driven a lot of people away from, I guess, faith, even seeking God, even entertaining the thought of God. And uh, I think a huge one is is hypocrisy. I think another huge one though is the the quote unquote church first of all i don't even understand the word go to church because we are the church it's the body of christ we are that you guys first get that through your head we are the church we meet together for fellowship and to en en encourage one another and, and to have a place where people can come to hear the gospel for the first time, to be provided mm -hmm. for, all of those things, right? That's why we come together, but we are the church. Now, one of the things that I guess has really, I don't know, bothered me or something is, is it seems like the quote-unquote church where you go Sunday morning, whatever. The building. The building. It has become a production, has really become a it's more of an entertainment type yes, of type of deal and i just i just can't get on board with it man yes, but but it's it's rampant That's right. and i don't know i think there's a lot of pressure say you decide as a as a servant of god you've been called to preach first of all somebody told me something the other day at my grandfather's funeral um, it was actually my grandfather's pastor, Tommy Painter. He said, don't ever be embarrassed to be called a preacher. That's right. And to be honest with you, I'm going to be straight up with you. I have at times avoided the thought or, or <clears throat> even saying that I am a preacher of any sort. I've avoided that. Because I'm, a, I'm, a, I don't know if it's that I'm embarrassed of it, but it's almost like I don't want to turn people off. Because certain, I think maybe certain people won't listen to what I have to say 
if I say, yes, I'm a preacher of the gospel, and that's wrong. Because they they've got a predetermined mm-hmm. view yes, of sir. what a preacher is to them. That's right. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of pressure on someone that is leading a local church building. I think there's a lot of pressure on that person to make it into a production, production. type of thing, man. I, I mean, yeah. I get it. I, yeah. I get it. And you see it happening all over the place. I mean, what? I want to speak. I know to you got to have some insight. Well, on that. number one, I want to say you mentioned hypocrites. Jesus Christ is the only person that's ever walked the face of the planet that wasn't a hypocrite. Amen to that, so brother. If you're, if you're a boy, I, I mean, my goodness, I, I mean, I'm going to mess up today, not purposely, but I'm going to mess up today. Yeah. I don't want to. But here we are. I'm, I'm wrapped in this wicked flesh, you know. Um, but I, I, I want to read this quote, Charles Spurgeon. A time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. Wow. And in our life, I believe a lot of people don't know about the type of churches I'm preaching in because they won't entertain. They don't have the light show. They don't have the big band. It's just Bible preaching, a couple hymns, and the church going out and being the church, what mm. you're talking about. that They're not just Saturday morning knocking on doors of visitation. It's every day of their life these people are going out into their community, into their area of influence, and they're living separated lives, trying to live like Christ, not in self-righteousness, but in holiness, which is a word that we don't ever hear anymore, and going out and trying to influence their world, their Jerusalem, with, with uh, the gospel. I mean, I, man, I know people out of little bitty churches right now. They're going to Vietnam. They're about to go back to Afghanistan. Soldiers, men that served there, and now they're going back. And that's because they're not caught up in entertainment, and they have a pastor that hasn't emphasized entertainment. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, when we, when most millennials, okay, they go into a church like that. They don't see the lights. They don't see the show. They don't see the production. What do you have to offer us? Church isn't about mm-hmm. what. Church is not about what what it has to offer us. Church is about what God wants to do through us to reach the world. Mm. And that's my, you know, a lot of these churches that I know that are doing these great things, like we're talking about the homeless stuff and all. The, nobody will give them a second thought because they go in and it's not what we're used to. Or it's not a production. Just, yeah. I guess you just. Yeah. There's a movement out in California of going into the town and knocking on the doors and asking what they want in a church. Well, that's not we're we're asking the wrong person. Yeah, we ought to ask him what he wants out of the church, not what we want. Because if I get what I want out of church, you know, we might have Hank Jr. and over all day, and you know, yeah. everybody gets a plug in the back, and here we go, you yeah. know. But in my flesh, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. But that's that's we're asking the wrong person. That's what a business would do. A that's business right. it, would go out and say, "What, what service would want? you like for yes, me sir. to provide for you?" Yes, sir. And that's what the modern church has been taught to do: go into your community and ask them what they want for a church. Well, a lost people, I can tell you what they want for a church. They want a big party. They want a mosh yeah. pit. Yeah. But what does God want? And and it goes back to it's not about entertainment. It's about exhortation. And, and growing in your walk with God and going out and taking that to the world. So does that does that answer your question? A hundred percent, brother. I mean, it's, it's. I had to look up that quote. I couldn't yeah. remember it exactly. I mean, I mean, that's a that is a uh, that's a that that is the proper perspective. And uh, 
I think we just shared a verse on the podcast the other day that I think goes right along with this, where I think it was Paul talking about how um, don't be led astray by philosophies and by the elemental spirits of this world. Colossians. Yeah, in Colossians. And, you know, I just see it, man. I, I see it, and I'm so thankful for your perspective and your description of what the church is actually meant to be and what it's meant to be used as and for. I mean, it's solid, brother. Let's take a little break. Yes, sir. What's up, guys? This episode is brought to you by Salty Britches. I hope you've heard me talking about Salty Britches. It's the number one anti-chafing cream on the market, period. I use it for all of my ultra marathons. Any race, any run that I'm doing over 50 miles, I put a thin layer of Salty Britches on my feet, pull my sock up over the top, and I'm good to go. One application of Salty Britches has kept me comfortable, blister-free, chafe-free for over 100 miles of continuous running in the Georgia heat. One application, yeah. And I apply this stuff to any hot spot on my body that would normally chafe or blister or whatever it may be. It's a game changer. I got enough. I got my feel of chafing and SEAL training. Yeah, it sucks. I don't enjoy it, which is why I'm so passionate about Salty Britches. Also, this stuff is made in America. The owner of Salty Britches, Amy, is an amazing human being that really has poured her heart and soul into making the best product that can possibly be made, and she has achieved that. Look, buy some Salty Britches, throw some in your running box, throw some in your everyday carry bag, throw some in your backpack, and when you need it, you're going to be really glad you have it. Order yours at GetSaltyBritches.com. Use pro code 3 of 7, the number 3, lowercase, O-F, the number 7, for 20% off your purchase from Salty Britches. Follow them on Instagram at GetSaltyBritches. Hey, we love you, Salty Britches. Thanks for being there when we need you. Thanks for sponsoring this episode of the 3 of 7 podcast. I've I've ran thousands and well probably hundreds of thousands of rounds through a Daniel Defense upper receiver and never have had a single one fail me so great if you oh we're back by the way if you guys like uh, guns gun talk uh, Chris is your man on gun talk too he's uh, you guys will have to check him out when, after you now that you know a little bit about him. Check him out on Facebook for sure. That's where you're most active, most right? Of, yeah, yeah, and he posts a lot of great content on there. Not only showing what he does um, within his ministry, but also showing what his his bushcraft and his backpacking and all is all now part of his ministry. But um, but also gear. You got some good gear reviews, man. I love it. Yeah, you're crushing it on on that front too. And I know that's. You know, it's it always surprises me that you find time as much as you travel. I mean, you travel probably. I'd say you travel more than me. I mean, every every time I look around, you're going somewhere else, and it's amazing that you find time to do stuff like that and still do things that you enjoy. Not that you don't enjoy what you do no, in your ministry, but <clears throat> to find things out time for things outside of that, like a backpacking trip or a little piece of gear review or to get out on the range. I mean. You you must be pretty good at managing your time. Not my, to mention you got youngins and a wife. My and, wife has taught me well to manage my time. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, I don't care what what 
profession you're in, I don't care if you're a truck driver or a doctor or a preacher, you'll lose your mind if all you ever do is that. And I love, like you said, I love what I do, but I spend, try to spend four to five hours a day in my study. I preach just about every night. I'm pat, I, I have my, my family. And I spend good, try to spend good quality time with them. Children, and this this is just for a little parenting advice. Children spell uh, love T I M E. Yep, that's just the way they spell it, you know. And uh, I just have to make time, and and you have to you'll lose your mind if you don't. You you'll lose your mind, and I just enjoy things, and I'm I'm wide open, man. I can't hardly sleep. <laughs> can't hardly sleep. Last night I was so excited about the day and thinking about it. I, you just gotta. Just got to do it. We only get one life to live. You know? That's it, brother. That's so. it. Well, Chris, as we were kind of talking through, I know we got we, we got kind of off on some other things that I wanted to, to discuss there about the church and, yes, and the perspective on the church and, and all that. And we were talking through, you had kind of led us up to the point where uh, you guys were at that at that meeting and you you learned that your wife, you and your wife were now expecting a, a new child and the child was growing and you guys were excited. And this is, uh, this is a place that I would really like to dig in to something um, that you're very, I think you and your wife have been led to speak about something that you're passionate about and something that needs to be talked yes, about. And, um, and that is the issue of abortion. Yes, sir. Um, a child's life, and uh, and if, if in whatever way you want to, I want you to walk us through that, man, because I want to hear it. I really do. This is a topic that is front and center in our society. It's the issue. It's the it's, one of the issues. It is one of the issues, and it it literally involves the life or death of millions, if not billions, yes, of uh, over time of of children. And uh, it needs to be talked about, and this is the place to talk yes, about sir. it, son. So, well, um, however you want to go with that, Chris, it's just something I, I want to make sure we cover yes, down sir. on. We um, we were in that meeting in Athens, Georgia. Man, it was going. We were facing some other stri- trials. You're always facing trials, you know. Uh, if you're not facing trials, you're not doing anything, you know. And God, God wants us to. That suffering's God's greatest tool in His toolbox. But um, we were sitting there. Uh, at the doctor's office, and man, we thought everything was great, you know, and the baby's kicking, moving, and we're excited, and man, we've you know went through that little struggle with the, the miscarrying the twins, and we get there in July, I think twenty first that year, twenty thirteen, and um, the they started doing the ultrasound, and by, because of that with the twins, because we lost them at two different times, um. I know what an ultrasound tech's face looks like when they're not happy about what they're seeing. And uh, I could tell, and she can't tell us anything. And um, she, her face just dropped, and I, I, she kept looking at the heart and kept looking at the heart and kept looking at the heart. The doctor come in and uh, told us that <clears throat> our daughter had what is called, what he could tell was hypoplastic left heart syndrome. So um, her right side of her heart, did not form. So she only had two chambers in her heart. Mm. So as long as she's in the womb, she's perfect. But the moment she comes out, um, it's not going to be good. So there's some other things with her brain, you know, um, and, and her feet, maybe her kidneys. And they sent us to a specialist. And that day, 
you know, the first thing the specialist says is, you know, have you considered abortion and, or terminating? They won't say abortion, mm -hmm. you know, terminating. And, uh, you know, I told her, I said, no, I said, um, we, we're believers in the Lord and uh, we believe that baby's life matters. And not that I'm not pinning any flowers on us because people do this, make that decision every day. But we purposely chose to uh, go through the rest of it. You know, next three and a half, three months um, was a roller coaster because, man, we believe God could heal that baby. But we also believe God sends things like that to our life um, to, to mold us and to shape us. And, um, you know, because of the time range, for the next couple of times we went to the doctor, they would always kind of bring that up softly. And um, we, you know, kept telling them no. But um, our daughter was born um, November 7th, 2013. And uh, everything that was wrong with her was wrong plus some things. And, um, you know, best case scenario, if she did a surgery, she might live a few extra weeks. And we decided to just have our whole the whole time with her. So they set us up in a room in the NICU. I actually delivered the baby at home. <laughs> My wife uh, went into labor, and uh, we thought, you know, first pregnancy, she'll have plenty of time. Six hours later, I'm delivering the baby at home. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, they gave me a they gave me a mid husband shirt when I got to the hospital and everyone, <laughs> but um. I still, the doctor still charged us too after I delivered the baby, you know, <laughs> but, uh, we, uh, we were, um, uh, there and uh, for eight hours, uh, I, we always said, you know, we got to spend her whole life with her and, um, we spent eight hours with her and, uh, she passed away in my wife's arms that day. Um, one of the things that sticked out the most is, you know, her name was Evelyn Grace and, uh, with that day. The, there was a nurse with us, Kelly, and uh, I didn't. I, I I thought she was supposed to stay with us, you know. And she's sitting. They had one of the hospital seat beds. My wife's sitting there holding the baby, um, and Kelly's sitting here, and I'm sitting here in the midst of all of that. We was probably about 30, 40 minutes away from Evelyn dying, and I looked at Kelly and I said, "Kelly, I don't believe God does anything by accident." And I said, "I don't know what all He's doing." I said, "But." I believe that God let you be here today to be here with us. And I said, Kelly, I would be a horrible minister of the gospel and a horrible Christian if I didn't ask you if you had ever been born again. And she hadn't. And that day I got to give that lady the gospel right there on our child's deathbed. And that, that was the moment I realized I was, God's doing this for a bigger purpose than just us having a child. And uh, that day, as Evelyn passed away, um, we were singing "Amazing Grace" together, everybody, all three of us. Mm. And uh, on the third verse, through many dangers, tools, and snares, I have already come. Uh, we have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. I, uh, Evelyn, took her last her last breath here on this side, and um, we, um, you know, we raised money for Bibles. We didn't do flowers. We raised some money for a Hebrew English New Testament that's being printed to get the gospel to the Jewish people. I called it Crowns for Evely. We were able to raise over $12,000 in her memory. And, it, 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 you know, in the Bible, it talks about the Jews that will be saved during the tribulation, and they're going to be saved because of the testament, the, the, of, of, the, of, the, of the New Testament, the gospel. 
and I can't help but think God's going to interrupt heaven every once in a while during that time and say, hey, another one of my child, my my chosen people got saved. Mm. Let's bring Evely up with them Bibles, you know, and that was our, that was our whole, I believe the Bible that much, you know, that God could do that. And um, anyways, th- th- through all that, God began opening these doors that outside of the church realm of speaking uh, the next the next January, so January 2014, I'm at the Capitol in Georgia. The governor's speaking, and I'm then me and my wife speak right. I after remember the when governor. y'all did that. Yeah, um, they told me I could say whatever I wanted to, you know. <laughs> and there's thousands of people. It's on FM radio, you know. Who would have ever thought that me and you, you know, country boys from West Georgia, get to have that platform? Mm-hmm. And so that day, I gave the testimony of you know the baby and the, and the the delivery and all that, but I gave the gospel. I was able to preach the gospel to these thousands of people, and uh, you know, you had people shouting down there at, at, at the at the Capitol, people mm-hmm. saying "Amen." You know, the governor's there, and who, and it was all for the idea of you know. No matter if a life's eight eight hours or eighty years, every life matters. And the push now is, uh, I think that I can't remember what country it is overseas, but they they terminate every autistic child if if there's an aut- if there's a child in the womb that they th- or, uh, that they think has autism, they just terminate it. Mm-hmm. They just terminate it. Or Down syndrome, they terminate it. That child is a gift. And our baby only lived eight hours. She never spoke a word. We never heard her cry, Chad. She never verbally cried because of her weakness. And she's already impacted eternity. She's impacted us. She's gave God used her to give us a channel to get the gospel into a place that may never would have went. Mm-hmm. And that right there, you know, it is selfish for us to think, oh, we'll just kill this baby because it might be sick or it might be hard on us or that's selfish man mm. and you, you might say and, and it used to be you know um it there was exception you know it should be few it, it, you know the left would even say that it needs to be rare well it's not few and rare anymore and people are doing it for selfish reasons michelle williams got up i can't remember if it was the grammys or the academy awards last year that actress and she held that that golden idol and she said i wouldn't be here today if i wouldn't have had that abortion at 15. And neighbor, you know, the Bible talks about Molech worship, where they would build the statue of Molech in the valley in Hinnom, uh, in, in the valley below Jerusalem. Yep. And that Molech would have his arms out, and they would build a fire up under Molech, and it would be molten hot. And they would throw those children in the arms of Molech. That was Molech worship. They, By the book of Joel, they had gotten so zealous, they wouldn't even wait for the babies to be born. They would rip the babies out of the mother's womb. And they would beat on those drums to drown out the screaming of the mothers as they threw these children into the arms of Molech. And we don't have Molech in America, but the God everybody's worshiping is itself. Yep. You, I literally, you just... I get pretty passionate no, about that. No, you, you so, literally yeah. just... I, the, the word that I have written here before you made that statement is idolatry. And the reason I wrote that is because it's no longer... This is no longer an issue of... of people deciding to abort uh, or, or essentially murder a ch- murder a child because of a um, a physical defect or uh, you know some sort of health issue it, it's 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 now gone completely beyond that 
And of course, you just hit it on the head. Um, and it's uh, somebody might say, "What about rape?" Well, I got one of my best friends. His wife was a, a product of rape in a ball. Uh, you know, back in the early nineties, somebody raped her mama. She was already married, and they went ahead and had that child anyways. Now this this mama or this lady is raising her family for the glory of God. You don't know what God's going to do with that child, and it's not your life to take. What, what, what could you, what could you tell, or what would you tell? Any, any, anything beyond what you've already said to someone out there that's maybe, may uh, now it doesn't even necessarily have to be a female that's facing yes, this sir. decision, but right. but just just a another human being that may not have the courage to stand on this principle of human life. Like I, I think I think that's that's the problem that, that that's yes, the you know, it, it's like it, it's just it, it, now it, it has it takes a lot of courage yes, to sir. say what you're saying, man. I mean Yeah, and it takes a lot to like you said, what what can you say to help somebody that's in that position? Because you guys went to the doctor. Had you not had the faith and and the confidence and belief in what you believed, that, I mean, essentially they were pushing you to terminate. Yes, yeah, you, you know, I mean, and without we the only out, people there that day that they were having that conversation. What do you do, Chris? I mean, how, how did you? Uh, I mean, what do you do, man? Is, well, in the moment, I, I tell you this, um, and I want to speak this to that. Um, the first thing is just because you've been made a victim, whether it's a sick child and you feel vict you're like you're the victim of whatever, mm -hmm. or if it's rape or incest and you've been made a victim, it's never okay to make somebody else the victim. Solid. Brother. We're complaining yeah. about being a victim, but what are we doing to that child? We're making that child a victim. Yeah. And I'll say this, and this is this is a logical, uh, uh, you know, take religion out of the way. This is a historical and logical argument. Um, Hitler did not start out by gassing the Hebrews. Hitler convinced the whole society that children that were sick or old people that were sick didn't deserve to live. Yep. And they had the killing vans. You know why? Because <clears throat> Hitler was a devout evolutionist. Yes, sir. He was. And, and, you know, we, we could chase that rabbit trail of, of uh, Margaret Sanger and Darwin and the connection between evolution, the theory of evolution and a pure race and yeah. all of that. Margaret Sanger, she was a racist, okay? Uh, I love people. So was Darwin. Color. So was Darwin. And it's in the, if you look at the introduction to this book, he talks about a pure race, you know. Yeah. Um, I'll chase that rabbit and get all fired up. But, <laughs> but Hitler, he had this idea that, and 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 is if that was his end goal, goal it was a brilliant idea for him that if he can get them to to disregard what we see as the lesser in society, eventually he could turn that anger towards anybody or that 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 machine against anybody, and that's what he did. Yep. He got a society for ten years desensitized to the idea that life doesn't matter. Period. Mm -hmm. That child that has a defect that you can't raise, let's kill it. Let's take it out of the gene pool. Let's make it easier on you because you're a victim. 
or that older person that's losing its mind, their mind and you can't take care of them. Anymore. Let's not just put them in a home. Let's not care for them. Let's just kill them. Well, that's uh, the new thing. You know, that, yes, that's sir. really it's coming up in. That's the, that's the, then that we've seen it brought, you know, since the seventies with the children and now it's coming in on the other side. Yep. Well, eventually, you know, we get so used to killing the older people, killing the younger people. Well, now he can kill whoever he wants to. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And he turned his anger, to, his hatred towards the Jews, convinced the whole nation, hey, life doesn't matter. It took a decade for him to convince everybody that life doesn't matter. We are 40-something years into this thing. Life doesn't matter to Americans anymore. Yeah. Except for theirs. Except for yours. Your life mm -hmm. matters. But that's the victimhood. We are not, and that goes, now, okay, I, that was the human logic of what they're trying to do of, of desensitizing life. And it's good to discuss yes, that. Yes, sir. We got to, yeah. well, I, I believe, a firm believer, and I, I want to be able to, to defend what I believe, not just from the scripture, because not everybody sees it as absolute authority. I want to use logic as well, and, and I'm, I want to be prepared to do that, uh, give an answer to every man. I believe that's what Paul taught us to do. But my point is, is, they they're just tearing down and and with logic they're they're trying to tear down all of this sanctity of life so eventually they can turn it on whoever they want to and it's a self-driven thing mm -hmm. it's it's man it's it's just wicked and i'm going to go yeah. ahead and tell you brother you think it's bad but it is it, it is it is a literally a nothing short of a catastrophe in american society yes, but let me tell you, you go to some of these other first world countries, and I've got to use New Zealand as an example because we've spent some time yes, there. New Zealand is a first world country with a a, a highly educated, um, largely upper middle class uh, population. But it is one of the most it, it, it is the, the country is one of the most devoid places of God yes, that sir. I've ever been to. They've never had in a move of God all of my there. travels. I have seen I have seen more evidence of faith in Jesus Christ in some of the biggest crap holes in Africa yes, than you go to New Zealand, man. I'm telling you, it is the most secular society yes, I've sir. ever visited in my lifetime. And they just I think they just passed the thing where you can um end your life with the the injection or whatever if you're terminally yeah if you're terminally ill and you know we we've i, I mean I, i'll just say it i mean we've got uh, a great friend over there that that has been having that has had some significant health problems that's just said hey if this don't get better in 10 years i'm gonna kill myself and and, and it, everybody's cool with it man everybody's cool with it man it's crazy dude it's unnatural. It, it is unnatural. It literally goes <laughs> against the self-preservation yes, is something that's built into us as humans, man. And it goes against, we, we've talked about this on the podcast, guys. There, there are multiple topics that are front and center in our society, lifestyles that go against the literal, um, uh, I guess, expansion or... Or, or or whatever you want to call it of our species. Yes, sir. Like the preservation of yes, our sir. species, man. This can this is a logical talk. Just like Chris said, if you don't believe in the gospel or the Bible as the ultimate authority, that's fine. You got to be able to see the logic in yes, this, sir. man. But you're right, it's a desensitization, desensitized to the sanctity of life. Yes, that's sir. what yeah. it is. And it takes a while. Yep. It's a strange thing, man. 
I tell you what they did. Here's another logical argument. You know, uh, Toys R Us went bankrupt two years ago. They they're no longer exist. Place where a kid can be a kid. Well, it come out that they were a large supporter of Planned Parenthood for decades. They literally were killing their own customer, customer base <laughs> yeah. for decades. And then they went bankrupt, which it couldn't happen to better people. I'm glad they went yeah. bankrupt. But my point is, that's the, we're not thinking. If you kill off all the kids, well, who's going to buy your product? And I'm not saying that's the reason, but logic said, you know, humanism says do whatever it takes to make people feel good, uh, you know, virtue signal, all that stuff. But logic says you're killing your own fan base, your own customer base, man. What are you doing? Yeah. And that's what we're doing in America. Like you're saying, self-preservation. You well, can't kill off the, the, fan, the, the customer base and expect to survive. Yeah, yeah. At some point, you got to step back too and and look at the totality of things because I, it's like I've heard someone say before: How do you boil a frog? You, you put him in yeah. there and you turn the heat up a little bit at a time, time, and he's comfortable the whole time because it's minor adjustments. Yes, before you know it, the water's boiled and he's dead. And so, hot so, so what? What? What heat are? What heat level are you at right now? Yeah. You know, and, and look at look at where we started and see how much has yes, changed. Sir. And then you realize, son, I'm in some hot water. I, I got to get out. I got a, a, a illustration. I think it was South Carolina. If I'm wrong on the state, please forgive me. They they just recently passed a, a abortion thing where they're trying to stop it in the state or whatever. And a, a, a judge stepped forward and and held it off for like a month before and acted because there were 75 women that wanted to have. They were in. They were scheduled to have their abortions. And none of those women were a product for rape or incest. And I think only three of them had a problem with the baby. 72 of those women, if I remember the article I read right, 72 of those women just just wanting to have an abortion. It goes back to the idolatry yeah. example. Yeah. Casting yeah. it before Molech. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we talk about this, uh, this I guess, societal issue that we're facing right now really it's not even a societal issue it's an issue that that the the entire human race is facing right now and you think man how do how do we how do we attack this well first of all it's quite obvious to me where it's going yes sir um i i just I, to be totally honest with you brother i i don't it can get worse but it will. It, it will, but it's it's going it's going to eventually all fall apart. It's got to. You know, the wheels it, are going to fall. Yeah, off. the wheels are going to fall off, yeah. and it's you know, and it's like the thing that I have really, I haven't been doing this type of work as long as you, Chris. I haven't been in the public eye as long as you, and I. So I'm having to work through kind of some baby steps in my own mind of how do I attack this and actually make a difference, and. um you know, for me, it's interesting to think that you look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, and he, Jesus never once, that I know of, really commented on the state of the Roman Empire, um, which was the government that was in charge during his time on earth. He never really commented on it. Basically, what Jesus was interested in was a man or woman's heart. Yes, sir. Is changing their heart, right? And and that is 
the only way that I know to attack. It's like it's so easy. The reason we're talking about this topic, we're not coming at it from a political standpoint. If you haven't noticed, we haven't talked about politics this entire conversation. Because I don't think that's the that's the answer. But that's it's easy to get drugged that's down right. that lane and and it's like I don't think there's any real fruit going down that path that's of right. conversation. So if you if you're interested, if, if this is something that you're passionate about, if you want to make a change Start going after yes, a man or woman's heart, man, because that's where the true permanent change is made. Yeah. You know? I, I take the, the electoral college map. I know you're not trying to be political, but I look at all those blue cities. You know, I've heard the statement, there are no blue states, there's only blue cities. Um, Los Angeles County alone, 32 million people, they have more pe- population in that that city than we do in 32 different states in our country. And I know very few people that are taking the gospel into, into Los Angeles. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. If we want to change this country, how it thinks, get people saved. Yeah, yeah. That's, that, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Okay, that's what Paul said. Our weapon is the gospel. Yeah. And uh, you're right about if you go and make Paul, and, and here's the thing that's hard. I know for y'all, I'm, I'm speaking for myself, too. We're patriots. And well, yeah. it's hard to uh, separate my Christianity and my American, you know, being a red-blooded American. Well, that's my very next question is, is, how, is how, how important do you think it is for a Christian to be active and to be well-versed in the political s- situation that is uh, in, in there, you know, how, how important is that? And how do you walk that line, man? I believe we need to influence our uh, elected officials. The, our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation would write letters and fake phone call, make phone calls to their elected officials. And I know for a fact most elected officials don't hear from our generation down. They just don't. Yeah. And if you want your voice to be heard, make it heard, even to the ones that don't agree with you. You know, we don't like – we we're not jumping up and down for these two senators that just – got voted in in Georgia, but when issues come up, I'm contacting them, man, and because it's our voice. Um, and not just, man, I'm, try, I'm trying, I'm not even ever here, okay, but I'm I'm reaching out to my elected officials in West Georgia and becoming friends with them. Like, I talk to them, I call them, I pray for them, and that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Whether they're on your side of the aisle or not, that makes a difference, and they'll respect you. They'll respect what you got to, to say, And um, but the biggest thing is, Go out and start winning people to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Go go find a leftist that doesn't agree with you and become friends with them. Mm-hmm. Get out of your circle. Get out of your echo chamber. I'm not saying you got to become them, but if you're strong in your faith, go out. That's what we're here for. Start. Don't just argue with them. Man, I can argue with people all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I talk for a living. I can argue. That ain't doing any good. Uh, uh, you know, I can win a uh, a fight with a skunk but it's not worth a stink. You see what I'm saying? Yep. And I'm not here to argue. I'm here to to give the gospel. I'm here to be a witness. And I tell people all the time, there's issues like vaccinations and, you know, not the COVID thing, but the just vaccinations and, and, you know, food and all these things that I believe, I like, we practice. But that's not what I'm here for. My banner is the gospel. Does mm-hmm. that make sense, Chad? Yep. 
I hope that I hope that answers that question good. Is yep. we've just got to uh, we've got to make that the main thing, the main thing, and keep it that way. Yep, I agree, brother. I agree a hundred percent. All right. I'm trying to think. I, I want to break something down real quick. Just a, a couple of specific questions I have for you, Chris. Um, I, I know there's a lot of, I, I, I think, contention around the the concept or the belief that you mentioned earlier, and that was that you w- once you are born again into the that sonship, once yes, you are, 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 are daughtership, and, and you are son or daughter of Jesus, once you experience that, you have that sonship for the the remainder of your eternity. life and eternity. That's exactly right. I want to break that down and get your perspective on that because, you know, I, I think a lot of people could go the wrong direction with that statement. Yes, they could say, well, it, I, I remember when I really got it, but now, I, now, I'm, now I'm living this way. Yes, sir. But, I, but you know what? I'm still good, man. Yeah. You know, I, I just want to get your perspective on that. Well, a lot of people will be on the other side. So let me, let me be the other side for a minute and say all those, all those people that believe in, in eternal security – that's just a way for them to be able to live however they want. Yeah. Okay. Uh, being eternally saved makes me want to live how God wants me to. Okay. Um, just a couple of basic doctrines. You know, John three sixteen, everlasting life. Well, if it's not, it's not. And God lied right there in that text. If it's not eternal, if it's not ever, eternal's not just an eternity. It's right now. So I don't want to be a part of something that it is is going to not be forever. Does that make sense? I didn't do anything to get it. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I, I mean, I gave my testimony a while ago. It was actually me coming to the point where I realized I couldn't do anything to get it. And if I can't do anything to get it, I can't do anything to keep it. And the, the, the Bible talks about being sealed until the day of redemption by the Holy Ghost of God. You're telling me that you could kick the Holy Ghost out of his house? What does the Bible say? Paul said, "We are the temple of the Lord of the, of the Spirit. We are are His temple. We are his, He lives here. I can't kick Him out. He's God. You see what I'm saying? And let me give a great for instance. Okay, Church of Laodicea. There is nothing good said about Laodicea in Revelation three, verse fourteen through twenty two. I think that's right. There's nothing good said. Not at all. He re, he wears them out. Okay, uh, he says, "Those I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent." The worst church that's mentioned in the New Testament, Jesus still loves them, and he's still giving them a place to repent. And also, uh, they we find out in Revelation that he's on the outside knocking. They had pushed Jesus out of the church. They literally said, "We don't want your presence here anymore." But if you go to chapter 1, he's walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Laodicea is mentioned there. They had not, Laodicea had not given Jesus a place with them, but Jesus, because he loved them so much, even how wicked they were and carnal and lukewarm they were, Jesus still had a place for them. They were still his candlestick. And I always take people there. I'm like, man, 
you're trying to live a good life. You make mistakes. I make mistakes. But you ain't Laodicea where Jesus is saying, you know, you are you are carnal. I don't have anything for you other than you need to repent. I'm going to whoop you, basically. And here, here you got that, and Jesus has still got a place for them. He's still standing there. Hey, I'd like a place with you. I've given you a place with me. I'd like a place with you. And Paul said, uh, if you're without, I think it's Paul, if you're without chastisement, you're bastards and not sons. And I believe that if you're truly born again, birth in the family of God, there's nobody else whooped me other than the principal when I was growing up. And that's just because my daddy gave them, you know, gave them the right to do that. Yeah. I was my daddy's child. My, my people at church didn't whoop me because I was my daddy's child. And when I receive a whooping from the Lord, it reminds me that I'm not a bastard. I'm a son. And there's a lot of people out here that claim Christ, and they have that head knowledge that I was talking about earlier, and they don't know him. They've never been birthed in his family. And the proof of that, the main proof, Laodicea, that other, that other text about bastards and not sons, is if they have no chastisement in their life, they are not his son. They are not his son. And there's a lot of people out here claiming Christ. They live, do whatever they want. That that vein that you were talking about, and they think they're okay, but they have no chastisement. What key marked my time, my year and a half out of out of the will of God in my life, was every day I woke up, and God was convicting me and dealing with me. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that people that are truly saved can you can say, "I'm his son," but you know, I'm all right. I'm all right. I just don't. It's a hard way to live like that. And I've lived it. It's a hard way to live like that. I don't mm-hmm. believe somebody's going to live like that 40 years and God let them live. Does that make sense? Oh, there is a sin sense, unto yeah. death. First John chapter 5, there is a sin unto death. Mm-hmm. And I believe you're either going to sin unto death, and I don't know what that is for everybody. I believe it's different for everybody. And then there's there's chastisement. And that chastisement's not to punish you. It's just to bring you back. That's what he was telling the Laodicea. He tells them, I'm going to rebuke you. I'm going to chasten you so you can repent. By the way, I'm standing at the door knocking. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing this to run you off. I'm I'm doing this to get back in with you. Does that make sense? <laughs> That's pretty dang good yeah. sense to me, man. That's I'm, my biblical perspective. I'm glad I asked you that question, man. And, you know, I, I don't know. It, it kept it, what something that kept popping into my mind is uh, we did a podcast the other day where we talked about the fear of the Lord is be- is the beginning of all wisdom and how you can't have wisdom without that fear of the Lord. And you talk about that that conviction or that chastisement that you get from your father when you become his son. Um, you know, I, I think there's a way, and it's not a fully developed thought in my head right now, but the way a way that you could tie that into describing the fear of the Lord yes, and how that actually, like you said, brings you back and, and brings you back to a place of wisdom and how you should be living your life. And I like how you said that really was the main factor that key marked that time in your life, that conviction, that chastisement. chastisement really, I mean, that, that's a, that was a really great, great description, yeah. Chris. I was miserable, man. Yeah. So you got anything, Blake? Man, I can't add to that. That's tough. I, I mean, yeah, that's, that's. I didn't dive into any of this deep stuff, but a lot of people. Lot, I've never heard anybody use Laodicea. Yeah, in dealing with that, you're right. They I've are a church. That. They have mm-hmm. a candlestick still. He's still working in the church. Mm-hmm. They still have a pastor, you know, and he he wanted to have fellowship with them. They're still sons. Yeah, but they didn't have fellowship. Yeah. 
I, I want to ask you a question too, Chris, because I know this is in your wheelhouse. It's another thing that I think you're passionate about because I've heard you speak on it before. We have a lot of questions come up. We do uh, every Sunday night. We do a, a, a Bible-based message called Resurrected uh, on online for our Patreon okay. members that support the podcast. Big question that always comes up is what version of the Bible do you prefer? And I know this is in your wheelhouse, yes, and I just want to get your perspective on that, man. I am a King James only. Um, I'm from a historical and uh, standpoint, and just I mean, I, that's just what I've all I've I've always been. You know, I grew up where well, King James only because Papa, you know, Mama, you know, it's good enough for them. And it, uh, about oh eight, I started I started questioning everything. Oh eight oh nine, I made a list of twenty four things that. Uh, I'd either been told we're right or wrong or whatever, and I started studying them for myself, and I came out on the other side, King James only. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay. Any any particular reasons that, that, that stood out to you? I mean. Can I tell you something funny, and then I'll tell yeah. you more? Heck yeah, brother. Jeopardy, about, uh, Jeopardy, I guess, had been about five years ago. Uh, they, they'd been, it would be about 30 years, 20, 27, 30 years ago. Uh, Jeopardy did the because you know they do a lot of Bible questions. Mm -hmm. They did their own study on which ver version of the Bible they're gonna use because they didn't want to use different versions all the time. They wanted to use one. Mm -hmm. They did Jeopardy, a secular, you know, very secular yeah. company. They did their study on which Bible version they were gonna use, and they came out King James only. Jeopardy is King James only. Okay. Anyway, sorry, and I know this is a hot topic. People get all fired up. Uh, I, I believe you can be King James only and not be King James ugly. All right. Uh, you know, I'm yeah. not, I'm not, ugly, I'm not mad at people, you know, but I, it is something I, I'm passionate about. Um, the Texas Receptus, um, uh, first of all, um, that is the, that is the manuscripts that were used for the King James Bible. Um, all, all, all other modern, uh, translation are the Alexandrian text. Okay. They come, that's what, that's why they can, they can take a verse out and, um, and put in the margin, this is not in the manuscripts. Well, it wasn't in that manuscript, okay? The, the Alexandrian text was actually thrown away. It was found in a trash pile in Alexandria, Egypt. Um, I can't remember the date. You'll have to forgive me. I, I don't I have all the dates, but it was found in a trash pile, and they brought it back out. The Antioch text, which is the Texas Receptus, was kept at Antioch. It was preserved. It was guarded. There was 5,000 manuscripts. So when they were translating the Bible, there, there were 5,000 of the Antioch translation or the Antioch manuscripts, and all of them agreed almost every single time. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you got to think that's God. Okay. Those weren't the originals. Nobody, I doubt James, okay, ever saw an original of 1 Timothy. I doubt. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I doubt. I doubt John, as he's sitting on Patmos, has got a book of you know got the the letter to the Corinthians. He didn't ever see the manuscript, the, the original. Okay, mm -hmm. and the fact that that was kept pure, and 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 kept safe. You know, they were called Christians first at Antioch. They kept that Antioch text right there and kept it. That Alexandrian text. There was I think 1,300. Again, forgive me. It's been a while since I looked. I think there was 1,300 manuscripts, and none of them agreed. And so they kind of picked and chose, you know, what they were going to put together for this manuscript. And up until the 1800s, that Texas Receptus, the Antioch text, that's all we had. That's all we used ever, forever. And then um, a man, man named Westcott and Hort, 
they uh they were you know strong's concord yeah. they were close friends with james strong's we got one right um, there okay and i i use it i carry i got mine on my phone because i live in a camper you know mm-hmm. uh but um th- they were westcott and hort were contemporaries of him and they came out with the uh revised standard version that was the first bible that was um translated from the alexandrian text and ever since then all modern translations of the bible have come from that that alexandrian text and it's i call it the corrupt text okay let me give you an instance okay so there's a historical okay there's there's my historical reasoning behind very interesting what i believe go do your own research i'm not i'm i mean do do it yourself it helped me okay here's my next thing uh can i read some scripture real quick go for it brother all right so acts 8 i love acts 8 um it's how god saves a black man and then chapter 9 of acts is how god saves a tan man and in chapter 10 is how god saves a white man <laughs> all three it, all three sons of noah get saved in the first or those those three chapters you got the son of ham and acts 8 son of shem and acts 9 you got the son of japheth and, and acts 10 so the gospel's colorblind is for everybody yeah all right that yeah. was my I, I had to throw that in there um let, let me see. Acts chapter eight. Okay, um, I want I want to read this. This is the Ethiopian eunuch. He's about to get saved. He's been reading Isaiah fifty three. Uh, he's been up to Jerusalem to worship. He's a religious man. Man, he's got a lot going for him. He's reading yeah. the Bible. Been up to worship and he's lost. Yep, he's on his way to hell. Okay, Acts uh, Acts eight uh, verse thirty six. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Okay, good question. He's been preaching the gospel to the guy. Baptism by water isn't the gospel. It's repentance and faith in Christ. Baptism is for believers after we get saved. It's our first step of obedience to the Lord. And he's been preaching the gospel to this guy. That guy knows enough about religion that he knows he needs to be baptized. So he's wanting to be baptized. He's heard the gospel. Every modern version of the English Bible takes verse thirty-seven out. So I just read. He I've asked. Heard that. He yep. asked, "What what what doth hinder me to be baptized?" Verse thirty-eight. So let's take verse thirty-seven out. Let's just take it out. Verse thirty-eight. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they down they went down both into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. If you take verse thirty-seven out, what does it make sound like? It saved you. Makes it sound like baptism by baptism, water. Yeah. That one verse. And here's my thing. I can show you hundreds of other little bitty things like that. And that the argument is, well, I, I don't understand the King James. That doesn't have anything to do with understanding what what you read. Yeah. That has nothing to do with old English or the these and the thous. There's an omission there. There is yeah. an omission, and they'll put it in the main in the in the margin of modern Bibles that it's not in the original text. Well, for them, it's not. But here's a Textus Receptus, the Antioch text that is a lot older and purer and and been held together and protected by the church. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And verse 37 says, "And Philip said, If thou uh, believest with all thine heart." 
And here's the thing, repentance, the word repentance is not in that text, but the action is that man's a Judaizer. He's been up to, Jew, to Israel to worship. He's a Judaizer. He's a black Jew. Queen of Sheba and Solomon had a relationship. There are black Jews in our, in our world today. This man is a Jew, and he's been practicing Judaism. He turned from his Judaism, repentance, and put his faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. He said, and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that's omitted from that whole that. verse is gone. Really? Yes, sir. And again, I'm not being critical. I would never brought it up if you wouldn't ask. That's just the kind of person I am. I don't. My banner is the gospel, but that right there is scary because me and Chad both have been to places where they don't have this. Yeah. They may just have one chapter, and if that's the only chapter some people are getting, I sure hope it's this one. Is that even with the New King James? I've not researched the New King James. I used to have an app on my phone, Blue Letter Bible, and they mm -hmm. had uh, different versions on there, but they only got one other version on there now. I would be able to just yeah. get, search it out. So uh, I, I'm not sure about that. Well, I really want to look, and I have a New King James Bible right here. Um, so that was Acts chapter 8. eight what, ver first, verse 37. 37. And it may be changed in the New King James. I know that they just, that, that it's a lot closer to the King James than us. So others. it's in, so 34, 36. Okay, here's 37. Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is go. the Son of God. So it is not omitted in the New King James. In the New but the King ESV, James. Version. NIV, things like hmm, that. It's, yeah. it's omitted. I've, I have heard yes, that. Now, now I, 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 personally read from the New King James Version Bible, um, I have obviously did not, I was not aware of the historical, um, the, his, the, 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 history the history that you just explained to us. That you got a copyright that, in that Bible. There's a copyright because somebody has changed it. There's no copyright in this Bible. That's wild, man. <laughs> and I, again, I'm not being critical. That's no, just, it's, that's, a, it's, 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 it's a discussion yes, that needs to be had. There uh, is a text, uh, I believe it's John, John 7, where Jesus goes up to the Feast of the Tabernacles, and he says, I go not up yet. Because at the time, his brother, his blood brothers, they did, or Mary, Mary and Joseph's sons, they didn't believe in him, and they were ridiculing him. Uh, you know, don't hide. And he said, I go not up yet. Well, and then he goes up in the next verse. You know, a couple of days later, he goes up into the feast. The modern translation, I don't know about New King James. I've not done a lot of study into the New King James, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, that's come out in re more recent years since I've done all my, my digging. Yeah. But um, the like ESV, NIV, all that, it says that Jesus said, I go not up. Well, if he goes, if he, if he says, I'm going, I'm not going up, and then he goes, well, what does that make Jesus? <laughs> Makes him a liar. Yeah, Does that makes sense. Yeah, no. So here's the uh, the NIV just on on my yeah. phone, and, and it's it goes from thirty six to thirty eight, and in thirty seven it's got quotations, and you can click it. And of course, a regular Bible yes. wouldn't have this, and it says some manuscripts include here, and that's what it's referring. But, but that that is really a key. Yeah, that is really a key verse. And for you guys that have understand understood the way Chris described it is it's a key verse pointing the reader to what actually allows you yeah. to enter be into saved the kingdom in of God. That's that's right. <laughs> it's a pretty I, big deal. I, it really is. I mean that's that is a that's a key verse. And let's verse. say let's okay, let's say that that 
okay, it's in some manuscripts. Well, what if somebody that is just digging into Christianity, okay, just that, just digging into the Bible, and they read that, yeah. and they say, well, what is it? Which which is it? It seems confusing. What, it what, what yeah. you know? Where's the de- and if we're going to believe this is absolute truth, we need to have the absolute truth. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, and that's why. You know, in my, in my younger, and I'm not ashamed of it. I still, t- I still preach on this subject some. And and if there's ever a text that I'm preaching, because I'm a textual expository preacher, I preach verse by verse. If I ever know from my studies that there is something missing, I will point it out while I'm preaching because there's mm-hmm. people in the congregation that just don't know. Mm-hmm. And can I want? Can I give you another for instance? Yeah, bro. Mark nine in Matthew seventeen, Jesus is going up to the Mount of Transfiguration. While he's up, the dad comes with the devil-possessed son, mm-hmm. and the disciples can't pa- cast him out. I could preach all day there, but there's a lot of that typology and stuff there, application. But they asked him, they said, uh, why could we not cast him out? Because in Matthew 10, Jesus had given them power to cast out devils, okay? They had the calling and the ability to do this, and then it, and they had done it before. But then this one comes, and they couldn't do it. And here's what Jesus says. It's the synoptic, you know, story. Matthew and Mark. This is only two times that this verse is in the Bible. Both uh, Matthew, I'm going to quote Matthews. They ask him, and he talks about grain of, you know, faith and, and all that. He said, how be it? This kind. Well, this kind of what? This kind of devil. This kind of devil possession. This kind of devil activity. Goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Mm-hmm. Did you know? And I don't know. Again, I cannot speak to the New King James, but most modern translations take out the that verse in Mark and in Matthew. So here's what the devil's done. The devil's not a dummy. The devil knows that there are certain devils that will not go out, that will not be pulled down, cast out without prayer and fasting. Mm. And he's got half a Christendom that doesn't have a Bible that says it, and he's got the other half not practicing it. And we're living in the most demonic age we've ever lived in, and we're not using the very tools that God's given us to, yeah. to combat them. To put, this kind of devil is not going out unless you pray and fast. Mm. That's the best um, explanation I've heard on Bible translations in my life. Uh, this well, is, this it's is. really because <laughs> Mamaw and Papaw used it. That you know, but, <laughs> Yeah. I'm sorry, I, I had to. That's but that's what got me into. Yeah. To, to, but anyways, I'm well, sorry. Well, this is why I was so passionate about having Chris on the podcast, and and like like Chris encouraged you to do, do your own research. This is Chris's. Pers- we're asking Chris for his perspective and what he's learned. Now you you go and check it out and do your own research. Yeah. But I was passionate about having Chris on the podcast because um, I knew that he he is very zealous about some of these topics that I think are brushed under the rug and a lot of topics that that I I just to be honest with you I haven't done my own research yeah. and that's on me I should have because I have people asking me these questions and uh, and it's quite obvious the information and the explanations are out there uh, but we have to act on that and yeah. set aside some time and go and figure it out. And it was a big deal to get Chris on the podcast because he's gone yeah. all the time. I mean, how many we worked for two months, two months trying to come up with a date to to have you on. But I, I knew 
you know, we were going to get some really great perspective. And and I want to ask you uh, real quick before we go through just some closing comments yeah. and stuff. I want to ask you if, if somebody has bared with us yeah. this long, <laughs> the, 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 the few people that are left um, that have, have and, I, and I say people that may not believe this stuff. Might not right? agree with all of um, what what would you tell those people if this has if this has resonated if this has if this has really sparked something in them what would you tell them to do right now um you know i believe when the gospel goes out that god works you know the grace of god which will bring salvation that appeared unto all men and um i believe the lord works and if if that's the case um you need to you need to give your life to christ um you don't need to, because it, it, we're life is but a vapor. We're here today, gone tomorrow. If twenty twenty taught us anything, that there is no certainties in this world. The only certainty I have is this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And First uh, Peter one two says, "Elect according to the foreknowledge of God through the sanctification of the Spirit and unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ." And what that verse teaches us is that God saw our need and, and and made a way before the foundations of the earth. The Holy Ghost of God, that word sanctification means he's drawing you unto holiness. Well, he's that means he's drawing you unto Christ. And then it, once you get saved, there's the sprinkling of the blood of Christ. Jesus Christ's blood is enough to wash away every sin you've ever committed, every sin you're going to commit, okay? But there's a there's 16 or, or excuse me, 31 words in that verse. And it all hinges on one. There's a middle verse, a word, and it's obedience. The gospel needs to be obeyed. And if I could say anything today in this time of fragility and uncertainty, and if you can't see that we're rushing headlong into socialism, and 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 Chad already mentioned it's it, it, he don't you know it's going to get worse because Jesus is coming back, and literal hell on hell on earth is going to take place. The Antichrist is going to rule. That's why, and and people that watch this channel, you know this stuff's happening. The borders are being dissolved. Yeah. The dollar is being brought down. One world currency, one world government. The religions are blending. I mean, the Vatican is letting Islam come in and bow down, and 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 Islam's bowing down to the Catholicism. Catholicism's bowing down to Islam, and you got guys like Rick Warren that are uh, pulling the two together and calling it Chrislam. And, and everything is blending because there is going to be a man coming that's going to come up and he's going to have one world government, one world religion, one world economy, and it's just setting the stage. And neighbor, if you're here during that, it'll be too late. And he's but going to be praised. He's, he's going, going to be, be worshipped. Revelation worship. 13, the, be, the, the, the mark of the beast is not going to be just a way to get your food. A lot of people are going to do it willingly. Yeah, because they want to worship him. He is going to be the man with all the answers. And um, the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 2, if you're here after that, you'll be given over to great delusion. You'll believe, believe a lie and be damned. So today, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Well, I tell people this all the time. Today's the only day you can get saved because I'm not promised a tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Today, that's why, I don't, that's why God said that. You, you say, well, I'll make a decision later. Well, here's the thing: you may not get a later. Right. You're making a decision by not making a decision. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no, you know, halfway with God. 
And so uh, I would beg you. I spend my life trying to beg people, to plead with people. And you say, well, that's a little much. Well, Paul said, wherefore I persuade men. Knowing the terror of the Lord, I persuade men. That word persuade gives the idea of laying out behind somebody's car and keeping them from leaving. I mean, that's the word picture if you look into the Greek there. And um, I, I beg you, give you give your life to Christ. You've tried everything else. That's, that's the thing about our generation. They've tried everything. What what does that look like in in, in actual in, in actuality? Okay. Um, well, story about Nicodemus. You know, he had all these works, he had all these things, but he was still miserable. So whether you're religious and miserable, or you're 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 out in the world and, and miserable, uh, repentance. I mentioned it earlier. Turn from it. Say you know I tell I tell people all the time there are there are wicked sinners and there are working sinners. Okay, there's two classes. There's sinners out there, and I don't have to spend a, an hour explain, encourage, or convincing you that you're a sinner. You know, you know, I, I knew, you know. Yeah. But there are people there out there that, man, you think you're too good to be saved. God will save both kind, but you'll have to turn from it. You'll have to repent, turn from it, and put your faith not in the idea of Jesus, but I, I like to say, put your put all your eggs into one basket. And um, I, I give this illustration all the time, and I hope I'm not taking too much time. But you got all day, brother. If I was out in the ocean drowning, no life preserver, no no dinghy, no no piece of wood. Now we all know Chad could tread water for a while, but I couldn't tread. The, me and Blake would be right. lacking in the treading of the water. You know, um, I'm gonna I, my doggy paddling's gonna subside. Even yours. Oh yeah. Eventually, mm-hmm. we're gonna start going under. Uh, more and more, we, you know, we train to try to hold our breath, but eventually, that's that's your training's going to be done. Your works are going to not be enough. The quicker you figure out that your works aren't enough, the better. And um, say Chad, that, say Chad comes by, and he's on a boat, and he says, "Chris, I see you out there drowning," and he throws one of them life preservers. I carry one in the back of my truck. It says Grace around it. He throws a life preserver out, and he says, if you want to be saved, all you have to do is grab a hold of that life ring, and I'll pull you in. And here's the truth, Chad. I cannot get saved by that life preserver until I quit trying to save myself. You'll drown, and you'll drown. You know this from trying to save somebody that's drowning. You'll drown You'll drown the person trying to save you yeah. as long as you're trying to work to you save will. yourself. But the moment I quit trying to save myself and just put my faith in that life preserver, I'll be saved. And that's the same with Jesus Christ. You're drowning. You're going under. And it may be sooner than later, but just quit quit trying to work. The life preserver's been thrown out today. Yep. You may have tuned in, and, man, you wanted to hear Chad rant and rave about something, you know. But here we go. There's the gospel. It's been it's been cast out today. And if you'll quit trying, quit working, and just grab a hold to of grace, put your faith in grace. Christ Jesus has done everything that needs to be done for you to be saved. And there you go, man. You done gave me chill bumps about <laughs> ten times during this episode, man. I, I mean, you. It, this is for me, and I'm not tooting your horn, Chris, by no means. But I have to say, you know, going back to earlier in the conversation, you said this is the reason God created me was to 
to yes, be an evangelist. And and the evidence is, is very clear to me that that is the truth. And if that offers any encouragement well, to you, I pray that you'd receive it, man, because it is true. And it's, it's not to make you build you up or make you feel good yeah. about yourself. I know you receive it in the right way. Um, you, you remind me a lot of Paul and the style that Paul used. And, and you, you mentioned it earlier, and I thought, you know, um, when Paul said, woe is me if I don't go out and preach this gospel, man. And that's really, that's really what you, you, you really, you're a beacon in that praise way, Lord, man. man. It's just, it's Lord. really cool, man. Um, I want to real quick and I'll attach Chris's, uh, you know, Chris's information in the show notes of this episode, but I, I just want you to tell us not only where people can find you, learn more about you, but uh, also tell us about kind of what you what you are projecting for the future of your yes, ministry, sir. where you need help, and, and this and that, you know. Um, so um, the easiest, because I know not everybody's on Facebook, but hewittsforrevival.com, that's our website. I've had it for a while. I've got a podcast. We're on Apple. Uh, it's called Hewitts for Revival as well. On Facebook, um, it's Chris Chloe Hewitt. That is our name. They want me to do the public figure thing, but I lose connection with people. So just follow us. Uh, we're at the the you know uh, the cap of how many uh, uh, friends you can have on Facebook. Uh, Facebook wants you to spend money. That's yeah. You know, so yeah. that that's the. Uh, but you can follow us on there, and that's our daily life. My desire is not just for having a pulpit ministry, but I want everybody to see that. You can live a Christian life and have a good time as a family. I want my life, my family to be a, a light. That's our that's our family's song is let my life be a light. That's that's our song. And uh, so you can follow us on there. I've got a, a Facebook page, Hewitt's for Revival. It's basically just letting people know where we're going to be. So we, we may be in your area. Like Chad said, we're, we're, we're all over the place. I just got back from Kansas yesterday. Um, I'm preaching uh, Revival in our hometown next Sunday through Wednesday. So that's that. And then uh, I have a project called Who Will Go Project. Uh, so Long Missions has been about asking for money, and we need money, okay? Uh, I'm about to tell you about a need in our life, but I think we've, the tw last 20 years, we dropped the ball on asking for men. In 1950, mm -hmm. there was 3.5 billion people in the world, 100,000 evangelical missionaries leaving America, going to other countries, okay? Today, there's 7.9 billion Depends on how many people were born and, and, and died today, but, but around 7.9 billion. There's less than 32,000 missionary families leaving America, going to other countries. Matter of fact, other countries are sending missionaries to America now. Mm -hmm. And we, God's given us too much to sit, okay, in America. Yeah. Um, anyways, our, our Who Will Go Project, I'm working on our first book with that. Uh, we do videos. Uh, highlighting needs all around the world, whether it's overseas or in our country. The, the, the America needs the gospel too. I go into areas we video uh, about the population, the religious makeup. You know, uh, like South Korea, um, the uh, first the, there's two leading causes of death in South Korea. It's heart disease and suicide, and they're, they're they need the gospel. Yeah, you know, if if suicide's the, one of the leading causes of death. They need the gospel, man. 
And so uh, I, I, I highlight these areas. So that Who Will Go project is that the videos, okay? So we have a Who Will Go YouTube, Hewitt's Revival YouTube, and all that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, like Chad was saying, you can follow our adventures up. You know, I caught last last uh, Friday, I went fishing in Kansas and caught 68 bass, me and two other I guys. I saw that, <laughs> man. You crushed so, it, dude. Uh, my shoulders were sore from reeling in, fit, <laughs> thumbs was raw. But uh, anyway, so I like that. It's not just, you're not just going to hear me preaching all the time. It's going to be life. And Chris is also, he runs, he's into fitness, he keeps himself healthy. Do combatives. Yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's into a lot of really cool stuff and posts really great content, man. You, you're crushing it on that end, so... But, yeah, check us out. And um, as far as needs, my family and I, we've been full-time. I've been full-time 10 years. We don't have a house. I'm not complaining about that. We I do that uh, so I don't neglect my family, okay? My little boy, uh, I'm not going to get into all that, but my little boy, he has a lot of, um, of, of physical issues. And so uh, we're trying to move towards getting some property up towards Chattanooga. That's where we're based out of. Uh, is right below Chattanooga, but we're uh, we're in our gospel tent ministry. God's just given us a fifteen hundred seat tent. Uh, our tent currently seats around five to six hundred. God just gave us a fifteen seat a uh, fifteen hundred seat tent. Scott Free, a board of directors, called and said, "We're giving you this tent. It's only been used twice." It's wow, just insane. Man. It's like a twenty six thousand. I saw the tent. picture of it the other yes. day. It's massive. It's man. hot. Yeah. I mean, you got to have a, a a bobcat to to put it up. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So uh, we had already been raising money for what is called a truck conversion motor coach. If you're familiar with race car driving, they turn an eighteen wheeler into a big camper. They have a double stack trailer, and this would allow us. You know, right now we take multiple families all over the country, out west every summer, up north, all over. I've done, God's allowed us to do tent meetings in England, uh, down in the Caribbean, Papua New Guinea, and of course all over the states doing tent meetings. So we have to, we're growing and we're, we need a, a better rig to haul it. So the, one of these rigs, we're buying a used rig. It's um, it's about $150,000 is what we're trying to raise. And God's already sent in right at $25,000 on this i've never done anything like this i like raising money for other people yeah but when i saw this need and you know um we live by faith i don't have an income that i you know that that's just de definite you know and you know that you know we're trying to live by faith and uh we're just trusting the Lord for for sending that in, and um, that's our biggest need right now, especially now that I got that bigger tent. That's it, I'm not, not going to have my trailer. I, I told <laughs> him, I said, "Well, I'll have to get this new rig because my my current rig will not will not uh, that that uh, tent will not fit in it." Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. but that's awesome, brother. I hope that answered all the a hundred percent. Nailed on all the questions. Yep, it, it really does. Thank you, Chris Blake. You got anything before we close it out? Oh, I just. Thank you for coming on, man. Everything you shared was was shared in a very, I feel like a, a very receptive and uh, painted a good picture. You know, you, you like you said, you provided logic not only uh, not only logic but also the scripture behind it. So uh, I thought thought it was awesome. Yeah, it really was. This was awesome, Chris. And I, I want to thank you too, brother, for taking time out of your schedule, taking time away from your family to come here and, and, and pour into uh, 307 Project and the podcast and everybody mm -hmm. who listens to this. Um, I just uh, I just pray that uh, you guys that are listening, if, if, if this did resonate with you, that you listened to what Chris just, how he just laid it out, man, and uh, and that you would would accept the gospel and and put your faith in that chris called it that uh that 
life preserver, right, yep. of grace, the grace of Jesus Christ, because I promise you, man, it is the, it's, 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 it's true freedom, man, and it's like, uh, it just, it, you can't even really describe it, but uh, I would encourage you to, to heed those words if you're, if you're looking. This is, this stuff's for real, man. Yeah. We, we're not getting on here talking about this stuff because we want somebody to pat us on the back. We're getting on here talking about this stuff because we don't just believe in this stuff. We know. Yes, yeah. We know this. I mean, this is for real. So, yep. Chris, you really brought the heat today, brother. Thank you so much, man. We don't have anything to gain when you're getting saved. That's you ain't going to be coming to our church. Yeah. You ain't going to be, you know, support. You know, it, it we just, don't get no kickbacks, no, do we? No, <laughs> Eternal retirement. You know, we, we're going to get some rewards yeah. up there. But as far as here, uh, it, it we're not trying to get you to – to to join our cult you know what i'm saying it's 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 real stuff it's it brother all right guys this is the three of seven podcast enough said enough said